This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. Hi, my name is Dr. Lou Diaz, pastor of Butte Bible Fellowship located at 2255 Pillsbury Road in Chico. And I'm providing inspirational teaching for you from God's Word each week. Listen to my weekly radio program, Encouraging Words with Dr. Lou Diaz, at 10 a.m. on Saturday or 10 a.m. on Sunday. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. When I was a student, I saw a movie that changed my life about wealth. It was this man who kept eating food, and it was a cartoon kind of thing, and the more he ate, the bigger he got. And he got so big that the floor started to crack. And then he fell through the floor. And when he fell through the floor, there were these skinny, poor people who started to eat him up. And that short cartoon got my attention. It got my attention because it was giving a message that the world has mostly poverty and there's few that have much. And what are we doing with the resources that we have? How are we helping the poor? Ron Sider wrote a book called Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger. He came to this city. He visited an evangelical church, and he was given a earful, but he was trying to lay out the message, you've been given much, and to whom much is given, much is required. What are you doing to help others in need? James is obviously addressing a very specific situation in and among the Hebrew Christians who are spread throughout the land. He's seeing a pattern, and he addresses this pattern beginning in chapter 2. In chapter 2, he is forbidding favoritism. He is saying, I do not want to hear of any church where the usher is bringing the wealthy people to the front and best seats and causing the poor people to sit on the back, on the floor, at their feet. I don't want to see that kind of favoritism because the ground is level at the foot of the cross. There's no distinction between rich and poor. We should not be placating to the rich. And he says this in James chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. He says... But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? Right there, we pick up a hint that James is addressing a very specific problem, and he's going to go round about and get back to it. James chapter 5, verses 1 to 6, 
is where he gets back to this issue of the wicked wealthy, the crummy money, the people with money-tudes that stink to high heaven. So let's look at this. Guilt, the wealthy who are wicked are guilty of using people and loving wealth. And he lays out in these six verses these principles, that the rich are to be judged and punished, the spoils of the rich reveal their greed, the cries of low wages and earners are heard by God, the rich indulged and fattened themselves, and the rich have killed to get what they want. Now, as we look at this, we see, number one, that the rich people are to be judged and punished. A great question that's asked at this point, is this referring to Christians or to non-Christians? That's a great question. Because in the writing of James, he is often and cleverly including the word brethren or brothers where he's referring to Christians. But in this section, he does not say brothers. In other words, I believe he's referring to non-Christians. He's referring to wicked, evil people who are exploiting and defrauding and are uh, taking advantage of poor people. And when James gets into this mode, he is reflecting the spirit of the prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, and the minor prophets often would let people have it. And having taught uh, the book of Isaiah at Sycamore Glen, week by week for a year and a half, I began to appreciate how the prophets would declare the judgment of God. They didn't declare the judgment of God because they loved to see people squirm. They didn't declare the judgment of God because they loved to point their long, bony finger. They declared the judgment of God because God gave them that message. Thus saith the Lord. They were speaking the message God gave them about how God will punish those who mistreat others to gain wealth. And the prophets spoke about that so fervently that they spoke in a tense that already saw the judgment. The judgment was so real in their minds, they said, you guys are done. Stick a fork in you. You are so done. You're so doomed, your doom is right on your head. So James, embodying that spirit of the prophet, is saying, now listen here, you rich people. Now there's nothing wrong with being wealthy. If you use your, wisdom, your wealth wisely and for the welfare of others. But he's speaking specifically to rich people who don't have any morals. They don't have no scruples. The means justifies the end. And they're going to do whatever it takes to get more and more and more. 
How much does a man need, a human being need to be satisfied financially? A wealthy person responded, just a little bit more. There's something about greed that it's a sin that causes such great dissatisfaction a person's willing to do anything to keep on feeding the monster of greed. Now listen, you greedy people, he could say. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. The judgment is already here. It's said of Howard Hughes that he was so miserable that he isolated himself like a hermit. And he became animalistic, much like the story of Nebuchadnezzar, who was humbled to become like an animal until he acknowledged that God is the most high over the affairs of men. And he did grow his fingernails so long that they became like corkscrews. I can't even imagine fingernails that long and that ugly and that distorted. But such was the life of one of the wealthiest men in our country. Judgment is coming upon the wicked wealthy. The spoils of the rich people reveal their greed. In James 5, 2 and 3, your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. So the first indictment of the wicked wealthy is that they have hoarded wealth. I've said this before, and I say it again because it's true and it's funny. People like this get all they can. Then they can all they get. And then they sit on the can. The problem with greedy people is that they have to continuously get more and more, and then they are grievously worried and driven by keeping what they have. So there's two parts to the problem of greed. One is you never have enough. And the second part is you're worried you're going to lose what you have. A famous child actress wishes that she had given more money away because her investments went south due to some stock market investments. She could have given that money away but she was holding on to it and lost it. This is the example that James is giving. You are wealthy, but everything you have is rotting away, is spoiling, is corroding. And the very fact that you just are sitting on a stockpile of supplies is evidence of your greed. Now, I recognize that hoarding may be a psychological issue. It's not always an issue of greed. Have you ever watched a television program about hoarding? I watched one episode, and I was in shock. They took everything this person had hoarded, and they put it in a warehouse. 
And when they walked that person into the warehouse, it was huge. And all these shelves of all the same shoe of different colors, all the handbags of different colors, the collection was there for as far as the eye could see. But that wasn't the punchline. They brought the person through the warehouse to a door. They opened the door, and there was another part of the warehouse equal in size and equally full. That was the shocker. You thought this was bad. This was only half of what this person had hoarded. So we recognize for some, it's a psychological need for and search for security, for significance. And let me just say right now, our security and our significance are found in Jesus Christ. Again, he's the pearl of great price. To have him and to know him is to have what, it, what you're really searching for, what you really need. But there are wealthy people, and all of their stockpiling, all of the stuff that they collected from Stuff Mart will testify against them. You know, they say you can't pull a U-Haul after a hearse. You can't take it with you. The saying is false that the person who has the most toys wins. The saying is more accurate, the person who has the most toys dies anyway. And all the toys are a testimony of that wasted life. How many mansions have been handed over to Christian organizations because the person was building a kingdom for himself and not for the Lord? And it says in Ecclesiastes, the person who collects will keep on collecting only to hand it over to somebody else. But the person who delights in the Lord, even the simplest thing of drinking a glass of water will taste yummy because God will give that person the ability to appreciate and to enjoy even the smallest things in life. Which would you rather have, ongoing discontentment or peace and joy and contentment. That's found in Jesus. So greed is like drinking salt water. You might say, I'm so thirsty, I need a drink. And you drink salt water. Guess what? You're even thirstier because you drank salt water. You drink too much salt water, guess what? You die. Greed has within itself a self-destructive Clause. The spoils of the rich reveal their greed. There's another television show like called American Greed, and it covers people like Madoff, who made off with a lot of money. He didn't care if he was ripping off widows whose life savings was what they were counting on. He ripped off millions of dollars and millions of and lots of people, and now he's in jail. The spoils of rich people reveal their greed. Matthew 6 are the words of Jesus, verses 19 to 21, which are in stock, uh, in stark contrast to what we just heard. Jesus says, Do not store up treasures, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy 
and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So our treasure is Jesus. Jesus is in heaven. We want to store up treasures in heaven by giving to those in need, by serving others in love, by representing the Lord's kindness and, and compassion and kingdom. Next we see James, like a prophet, calling out the wicked, witch, wicked rich, who may be like a witch, by saying, look, verse 4, the wages you failed to pay, the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. I love how prophets would convict and then convict some more. They would say, you know how you've been underpaying your employees? You know how you've been cheating them? You get the big bonuses at Christmas time and they get some cheap little ham you bought at Costco in wholesale? Come on! The, the, even the wages are crying out to God. Now you think to yourself, wages are, are inanimate things. Dollars, checks, pay stubs, those are inanimate but you know what? God hears and sees the evidence. When Cain killed Abel, he left him to die on the ground. His blood was soaking up, being soaked up by the ground. And God came to Cain and said, where's your brother Abel? And Cain said, what? Am I my brother's keeper? And the answer to that is, yes, you are. But he's like, getting huffy. What, am I my brother's keeper? I don't care where he is. I don't know where he is. Why is his blood crying out to me? You think blood is an inanimate object, but yet God is so sensitive, so aware. He knows when unfairness is being carried out. He knows when someone has been naughty or nice. And we're not talking about a mythical person here. We're talking about Almighty God who's omniscient. He knows all. And he keeps track of injustice. And he's going to set the scales right. There will be justice done. And he is not partial. He is completely objective. So... An employer thinks he gets away with cheating his employees by underpaying them, and even the employees are crying out, God, we're treated so horribly. We've been unfairly cared for. Do something. You know, when I was reading in Exodus chapter 1 and 2, I was very impressed that the Israelites who were slaves in Egypt called out to God in the midst of their oppression and how they were harshly treated by the Egyptians. And it says, And God heard their cry and knew of their pain. That touched my heart. I said, that's my God. God knows. God hears. Have you been treated unfairly? Have you been violated? Have you 
been taken advantage of? Has someone treacherously treated you? God knows. And revenge is mine, saith the Lord. It's not ours. We take that person off of our hook of accountability and we put them on God's hook of accountability because God will take care of them. God knows. Proverbs 14.31 is a wonderful promise here. It says, Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. There you have it. The wicked wealthy are oppressing the poor. They're showing contempt for their maker because we've been made in the image of God. And when you mistreat someone made in the image of God, you are mistreating God. You are dishonoring God. And no wonder they are blaspheming the noble name of the Lord, as James said earlier in chapter 2, verse 7. And the rich indulge and fatten themselves up. James 5, 5. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. Jesus told a parable, but really it may not be simply a parable, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It may be an accurate description. But see, he told the story of a rich man who saw a poor man named Lazarus at the gates. And the rich man had no regard for that poor man, just passed him like he was a, a piece of liver, chopped liver. Well, he didn't love chopped liver. He, he despised this man. He showed disdain for this man. And they both die. And the man, Lazarus, the poor man, goes to the bosom of Abraham, which would be the equivalency of heaven. But the poor man goes to Hades, which is the equivalency of hell. And there's horrible suffering down in Hades. And the rich man is saying, hey, can you send my, that, that guy, that poor guy, Lazarus? Yeah, I think that's his name. I never paid attention, but could you send him down to put a drop of water on my tongue because it's burning hot down here. And God says there's a great chasm between here and there. There's no crossing going up or down. Um, well, can you at least warn my brothers? I have five brothers. I don't want them to end up down here with me. It's horrible. And uh, send an angel. Then they'll believe. And Jesus says in the story, if they do not believe the book of Moses, the word of God, they won't believe even if an angel shows up on their doorstep. You see, you might be freaked out by seeing an angel and temporarily go to church, but your life isn't changed. But if you look into the book... In the holy book, the Bible, that'll change your life from the inside out. So this is a theme throughout the Bible, and this is the vision or the cartoon that I saw. A man eating himself so fat that he fell through the floor and was eaten by the starving poor people. The rich have killed to get what they want. James 5, 6, you have condemned and murdered the innocent one who is not opposing you. Now I have a confession to make, that when I first read this, I thought of Jesus. Isn't Jesus the innocent one? Isn't Jesus the one who, like a lamb, went to the slaughter and did not oppose, did not fight back? Wasn't he unfairly condemned and murdered 
He died on the cross, not for his sins, but for ours. I thought of Jesus. Now, of course, we can make that ultimate uh, application, but what is this referring to? This is referring to the Christians who are poor, who have been oppressed by the wicked wealthy. They are just because they're set right before God through faith in Jesus Christ. They're just because they're innocent. They're trying to carry on the work of being a harvester, but they're underpaid. But they're taking the court, and when they're taking the court, and the wealthy, wicked man pays a bribe to the judge to get his way, they're stripped of what little they have in the corrupt court system. The wealthy always win, and the poor always lose. They can oppose because it's a losing proposition. They're going to lose no matter what. And the wealthy don't care. The wealthy are literally getting away with murder. The wealthy are trampling over people's lives as if they don't matter at all. The rich have killed to get what they want. I was thinking about a song that came out in 1969. And that song is called One Tin Soldier. You remember that song? It tells a story. Listen, children, to a story that was written long ago about a kingdom on a mountain and the valley folk below. On the mountain was a treasure buried deep beneath the stone, and the valley people swore they'd have it for their own. The chorus, go ahead and hate your neighbor. Go ahead and cheat a friend. Do it in the name of heaven. You can justify it in the end. There won't be any trumpets blowing. Come the judgment day on the bloody morning after one tin soldier rides away. Well, the story goes on to say that the people in the valley asked the people in the mountain, can we have the treasure? And the people in the mountain said, sure, we'd be happy to share it with you. But instead, the people in the valley get there on their horses and they get up there to the mountain and they kill all the people on the mountain. And now the stone under which this treasure is buried is blood red. And they say, ah, now we're going to get the treasure that they had. It's ours. And they turn the stone and they look beneath it. Peace on earth was all it said. Go ahead and hate your neighbor. Go ahead and cheat a friend. Do it in the name of heaven. You can justify it in the end. There won't be any trumpets blowing come the judgment day on the bloody morning after one tin soldier rides away. There's going to be a judgment day and the wicked wealthy will be brought to account by the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the judge, the only judge, the righteous judge, and he will do right and he will avenge those who have been taken advantage of those who have been marginalized, those who have been trampled upon, those who have been killed because of people's greed. Quite a message after Thanksgiving, isn't it? But let me just say, in closing, 
that there are four indictments against the sinfully rich. Number one, they hoarded riches. Number two, they acquired wealth by fraud, by cheating their employees. Number three, they used their wealth wrongfully to indulge themselves. And number four, they legally oppressed and even killed the poor workers through the judicial system. Those were the four indictments against the sinfully rich. We as Christians should see this as the negative example, the anti-type. We don't want to be like that. We want to love people and use things, not love things and use people. It was Scrooge who uh, was selfish and miserly and mistreated his employer, employee, even though his employee blessed him. And he had visitations, and those visitations showed his life, past, present, and future. And he woke up a changed man. He decided he was going to give. He was going to bless. He was going to be generous and alive. And he gave and gave, and he paid correctly to his employer, employee. And he was even able to enjoy a meal with them where he could hear Tiny Tim say, God bless us all, everyone. That's the conversion that we hope a wicked, wealthy person will come to when they hear the words of James chapter 5, verses 1 to 6. Do you need encouragement? I want to share my spiritual gift of encouragement with you. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521 to find out how you can connect with our weekly worship services and faith-building messages from God's Word.